and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Let's on the Decks. This is the show where we explore the mechanics of the music industry through intimate conversations on creativity and through biographical explorations of the lives of some really iconic artists. Later on this year, a biographical film is being released starring Jennifer Hudson, which will attempt to tell the story of one of the most remarkable artists of all time. Aretha Franklin died in August 2018, having released nearly 40 albums, had multiple number one singles, multiple Grammy Awards, I think about 20. But more than her musical legacy, Aretha's voice and songs soundtracked a revolution and became a huge part of the civil rights movement in America. Perhaps this journey and the hope embedded deep in her voice is why she has a tendency to bring Barack Obama to tears in public places. The nuances and complexities of Aretha's journey are part of what sits behind that incredible voice, She is a soul campaigner who sang from her core and moved communities, and particularly black communities, and made audiences feel that they were experiencing divine magic when they watched her. This episode has been a particular challenge because Aretha's life in music is so long and so deep, but I hope you learned something from it. This is an episode about power, as taught by Aretha Franklin. Ladies and gentlemen, listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We in the mix. It's fire. Keep it going. We on fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. On the 25th of March, 1942, during the Second World War, Aretha Franklin was born to Barbara and C.L. Franklin. Her first experience of loss happened when she was six years old and her mother left her father and the children were split. Aretha and her sisters were kept with their father and she was therefore raised in a single parent home by her dad. Jennifer said about playing her in the movie that having to experience so much so soon and then having to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, that's a lot. And that she thinks Aretha grew her shield, her wall, at a very early age. And the way she found to express herself was through her music. The idea that young Aretha had a sadness in her and a pain does crop up quite a lot in people's accounts of her. She was certainly an introvert and she communicated very intense emotions very young. Her dad was a minister, and they had a fascinating relationship. Aretha Franklin would not be Aretha Franklin if she had been raised by a different man. Clarence Franklin was a minister, and while not wealthy, as she called out in an interview that her family did have food stamps growing up, he was a very well-known figure. He was hugely popular, and he was actually a mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. Since Aretha was a young girl, it was like he decided she was destined by God to be great. He made her a central component of his early sermons, And when she was 11, he took her out of school to go on tour. He truly believed that she was touched by something divine. He also invited his celebrated guest friends around to watch her perform. Those guests would be people like Clara Ward, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, and Sam Cooke. Touched or not, having someone with that much authority in your life firmly believe that you are destined for greatness is going to instill a certain confidence in you. However, I understand his belief in her could sometimes be a bit smothering when she was growing up kind of made me think of like Beyonce's dad, that sort of overbearing, very committed parent who can sometimes be a little bit too obsessive. Also worth noting that she was quite shy as a young girl. Because of this backdrop, singing to Aretha was as natural as speaking and the concept of being significant was something she went after determinedly. That said, she has one of the most extensive discographies I've ever seen. I mean, it's actually mind-blowing how many albums she's released. Like I was literally having to count them and I was like, I'm definitely going to count this wrong. Performing was never a phase of her life. It literally was threaded through her entire life. And so what was introduced to her in youth became a permanent fixture. 
royalty is not unusual in American music. In jazz, Count Basie and Duke Ellington reigned supreme. In the blues, Bessie Smith was a legendary empress. But in soul, a unique Afro-American blend of gospel passion and pop lyrics, there's been only one queen. Her name, Aretha Franklin. So I'm going to kind of do this episode in sections, but I am going to start with the music. And stage one of her professional recording career was under Columbia Records. She signed with them in 1960 after being coveted by an executive there named John Hammond, who previously worked with Billie Holiday. As I said, she was in circles and she'd been touring since she was 11. Her first album under Columbia Records was released in 1961, and she went on to release nine albums under that label over a six-year period. So that's like a really fast turnout. And while there was a lot of good stuff on them, there was this general sense that Aretha was better than the albums. But everyone that was working with her could see that there was magic in her, but magic wasn't coming out in the songs. It's understood that while at Columbia, Aretha was a victim of a lot of men trying to force their opinion on her, trying to tell her what songs she could sing and how. And I think that lack of freedom meant she didn't really believe the songs she was singing. So they don't really hit you in the face. The songs were good songs, but they weren't genuine stories when they were delivered by Aretha, as she wasn't given the space to be heard in those studios. Overall, Columbia made a loss working with her for those years. So the lesson here is, if you want the best of someone, you need to make space for it. In 1967, Aretha Franklin entered a different era for her artistry. She signed a new record contract under Atlantic, and this was really the turning point in her career. And I think this is the the film that's going to come out. I think this is a real focused part of the film. In 1967, she released Respect. Okay, um, I'm sorry if I'm going to butcher this, but (laughs) R-E-S-P-E-C-T, a little bit. An anthem, which actually is a song, became an anthem for the civil rights movement. So as much as it's a song now that we all recognize and has kind of been embraced as a feminist anthem, initially it really was a movement for the civil rights movement in America. Yes, it it did become their mantra. That's true. What an honor. It was a battle cry, yeah. My sister Carolyn and I put that together, my younger sister Carolyn, who has passed now. We uh, stood around the piano. There was a cliche in Detroit at the time. Uh, sock it to me was the cliche. Sock it to me, sock it yes, to me, sock it to me. Yes, oh, yes, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She was 24 at this point. Uh, so super young for such a powerful song. It's quite impressive. The song was originally by Otis Redding, who famously told Jerry Wexler, who was the executive at Atlantic, who kind of brought Aretha on and really set the framework and spit in place for her to be able to release songs like that. But when Otis Redding heard Aretha's version of his song, he said, that little gal done took my song. <laughs> so she had the blessing from Otis, basically, that she'd made it her own. Over the next decade, Aretha and Atlantic Records delivered some of the most prolific releases of all time. And the thing I love about the songs which came out of this period is how fun they were. Despite Aretha processing a lot in her lyrics, the songs which came out were full of energy and humanity. She sings to me in the way that a romantic person feels. As well as respect, releases from this period include Chain of Fools, Ch-ch-chain, You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, and Think, Think About What You're Trying to Do to Me. She released 10 Grammy Awards over that period of time, and it was seen as one of the most successful partnerships in music. She did have an insane amount of hits, but perhaps the reason we have such timeless masterpieces from Aretha is partly because of those partnerships, but also because of the extensive volume of music she's put out over the years. The greater the catalogue, the more likely it is there will be something good in there. 
She continued releasing music and performing her entire life. And around 2009, she made the decision not to re-sign to a major recording label. She'd been doing it for 52 years. And uh, this is what she said on that point. 52 years of recording for other people. I thought at this point, uh, it's time for you to record for yourself. So uh, that way there wouldn't be so many spoons in the soup. There would just be one Aretha spoon in the soup. And, and uh, I'll take responsibility for all of it. The Diva album that she went on to release in 2014 was her fastest-selling debut album ever, and she was 72 years old at that time. That is why she is the Queen of Soul. Okay, now I'm going to take a little look into her relationships that sort of shaped her life. So I've mentioned her interesting relationship with her father, which was, I think, hugely influential on her career and on her confidence. But there were other interesting dynamics in Aretha's life. Firstly, she had two children before the age of 16, at the first when she was just 12 years old, which was reportedly with someone she was at school with. She then first got married when she was 19, as a mother of two, to a chap called Ted White. But like the first loves of many divas, uh, look at Tina Turner or Khalees, Aretha's first marriage was very toxic. Ted was a playboy, but they both had their weaknesses, which bound them tightly together. Unfortunately, he was very dominant publicly, and there was domestic abuse inside their relationship. Perhaps it's no coincidence that she divorced him in 1968, and I'm probably making it more poetic than maybe it felt at the time. But it's like she found her power in 1966. She decided enough was enough, she ditched the controlling husband, and she got rid of the controlling record label collectively. She put out respect in 1967, and that was a declaration of her power as an individual. She did marry again in 1978 to an actor named Glenn Turman, and she embraced his children as her own. Uh, the marriage, unfortunately, didn't last, and the couple se- separated uh, six or seven years later, with the travel and distance cited as the key reason for the split. However, they remained on good terms, and it was generally a much healthier marriage. We remained friends. We remained respectful of each other. Uh, I never lost respect for her in terms of what she was able to embrace, because I came with three children. She treated them with uh, grace And uh, I couldn't help but love her even more for that. So what was Aretha like as a person? Well, as a child, quite paradoxical. She was both introverted and sassy. A lot of people thought she was shy, but she she was full of quiet confidence. She had a kind of inner rebel and a wild side, and she was definitely tough. Apparently, she once hid behind a tree to knock her sister over the head with a baseball bat. So tough, like verging on aggressive. As an adult, she was 100% diva, but she was also 100% got her shit together. Uh, or, or what else? Or a executive secretary. Where'd that come from, Miss Franklin? Well, it's just, it's just something that I felt I would have been excellent at yes. and very good at. I love the idea of Aretha the secretary. I think she'd be that person who'd be like, no, absolutely, you cannot have a meeting at that time. And there would be no discussion about it. She's very direct. And increasingly, as she got older, which is kind of hilarious to watch in interviews, Jennifer Hudson, who spoke regularly to Aretha while preparing to play for her in the movie, said that she would say to people on set, if, if you're not uncomfortable when I'm around you, then I'm not delivering Aretha at all. She was also quite a homebird. Uh, she lived in Detroit for most of her life, choosing to stay there rather than set up in LA or New York. Another interesting thing about Aretha is that while she traveled a lot, she was terrified of flying. So for most of her life, uh, after a bad flight in 1982, she never, ever got on a plane. So she was insistent that this didn't really limit her career, but obviously it meant that she couldn't 
come perform over the UK or throughout Europe. But it didn't really affect her career. Her music traveled for her. As well as being influential on culture through her music, Aretha was hugely influential on other artists. She described Shaka Khan and Dionne Warwick as old friends. And she was very close to Sissy Houston, who was the mother of Whitney and was Whitney's godmother as a result. Whitney Houston spent some time in her formative years hanging out in studios watching Aretha Franklin create. And so as well as having Aretha to thank for her own power, we also have her to thank for the lessons she imbued on Whitney and the music which came as a result. So what are my key takeaways and lessons from Aretha? Well, firstly, music has to mean something to you to mean something to others. In her early days when she was singing what other people wanted, the music didn't really go anywhere. It was catchy, but it wasn't memorable. When she finally had the freedom and she told the stories through her songs, everything changed. So that's lesson number one. And I suppose connected to that is It meant so much to people in a time where they needed music so badly. They needed the energy which came from a a black woman's music. Secondly, create your own map. You don't need to be in LA or New York or London to be a superstar. You can be in Detroit and you can stay there if that's where you want to stay. The music can travel for you. What's kept you in the Detroit area for so long? I like the mentality in the city. That's what I like. Detroiters will come all out if uh, they really feel like what you are um, standing behind has merit. And finally, lesson three, Aretha knows herself. She has this incredible commanding presence and confidence in her voice as a speaker and her opinion as well as a singer. It's maybe good that she learned the lessons that she needed early on to help her manage anyone who tried to control her now because looking at her now in her later years, you can tell that nobody really could have controlled Aretha Franklin. Only Aretha Franklin could control Aretha Franklin. It's hard to think of someone who has a legacy that even compares to Aretha. The scale of it and the power that her music has is really for all time. So thank you, Aretha, for everything you've delivered and the way you've moved people and the way you've changed the world through your music. That's proper girl power. What up, Lex? 